For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. Remembering to be thankful to God can be a challenge when life is hard. But Paul provides some reminders in his letter to the Colossians. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at these reasons for praising and thanking God, even in those seasons of life that overwhelm you. To introduce the conclusion of his message, Wisdom and Understanding, here's David. Well, friends, I've been telling you about my fascination with Paul's prayer in verses 9 through 14 of Colossians 1. It's the prayer that he prayed for the Colossians, whom he had never personally met. But he knew they were going through some real uh, unsettling times because Epaphras had come to his jail cell in Rome to communicate his concern for the church that he had started, uh, a house church in Colossae. Paul couldn't go there and straighten it out personally, but he wrote this letter, and uh, it's called a prison epistle because it was written by Paul in the Roman prison. He wrote it for the Colossian believers, but he also wrote it for us. It's amazing to me how contemporary are the issues Paul wrote about and how they touch us even today. Today, we're going to finish up our discussion of this prayer in verses 9 through 14, and uh, I hope you'll stay with us as we Open the Bible again to the first chapter of Colossians. Let me just remind you before we get there that we are coming to your area this fall. If you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, we're going to be at the PNC Arena on October the 6th. If you live in Orlando, Florida, or anywhere around there, we'll be in the Amway Center on October the 13th. And Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena, October the 20th. And Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York at the Key Bank Center. These events are free, but you have to have a ticket. And the tickets come from davidjeremiah.org slash tour. And you can order your tickets. They'll be sent to your home. You'll have them and available to use them on the night of the event when we come to your area. We're going to have a great night when we come there. We'll have Michael Sanchez with us and our musicians, and uh, we're going to really share the Word of God and have a great time celebrating all that God is doing in our lives. Please make sure you get your request in as soon as possible. Then don't forget, uh, after Christmas this year, the 28th of December, we're headed to the Caribbean again for our annual conference Caribbean cruise that takes us through the new year, December 28th through January the 4th. Well, friends, let's let's open our Bibles once more and get started with uh, our study of Colossians chapter 1. It's so good to have you. As we open the scripture together, the fellowship of the Word of God is the greatest there is, and we thank you for joining us. Here's the third thing. He says, you will progress in knowledge consistently. Once again, verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. How many of you know that the best way to grow as a Christian is to get the busy serving God? I don't know very many people who really grow who are not serving. That's why when I talk to you about what it means to be a really plugged-in person, I tell you three things. Come to church, get in a small group, and serve. 
you don't really start to grow as a Christian, really grow until you start to serve. Because when you serve, you end up with all these questions. Somebody once told me, if you want to learn the Bible, be a teacher. <laughs> and what they meant by that was, if you're a teacher, you may not know very much, but the first time you go to class and you get all these questions, the next week you'll be smarter than you were that week, because you'll go learn. You grow as a Christian when you serve. Simply the same principle that you can't really be healthy if you have no exercise at all. So when I encourage you to serve, I'm not just saying we need you to come and help us. We do. But I'm saying that's one of the keys to your spiritual vitality and your spiritual growth is to serve. Paul saw this dynamic connection between action and knowledge. He knew that as they continued bearing every good work, they would naturally open themselves up to growing in the knowledge of God. One begets the other in this upward spiral. So the one who truly serves God is the one who truly comes to know God because you get involved in, the Bible calls you fellow servants with Jesus Christ. You get in the game. You become a part of the goal, the whole purpose of being a Christian. So if you are filled with all knowledge in wisdom and understanding, you can please God continuously. You can produce fruit constantly. And here's one. This tests us all, especially in the environment where we find ourselves today. You can persevere under pressure cheerfully. We've all been under pressure. We've all been in a situation where we weren't sure what was going to happen next, and we still don't know for sure what's going to happen next. Many of us have pressures in other things in our life. But listen to what Paul says in verse 11. He says, when we live this way, with knowledge filled with wisdom and understanding, we will be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Let me unpack that for just a moment. The word all is a marker of the highest degree, strengthened with all might for all patience and long-suffering. That means complete or unlimited. We could paraphrase the first half of the verse this way. Strengthened with the greatest strength imaginable. Now, I don't know about you. When I see a verse like that, I think, oh, yeah, man, I need that strength and that power. I need that might because I'm going to face some really big deals here. I'm going to have to stand up for what I believe against people who don't believe it, or I'm going to have to face a decision. That, And so I always think of power, might, and strength as what you need for the big decision. But I've learned lately that it's not that way at all, and this verse proves it. You don't need power, strength, and might for the big challenges of life. You need power, strength, and might for the long haul of life. How many of you know the Christian life is not a 100-yard dash? It's a marathon. And you need the strength and the power of God to stay on message and be the person you were called to be. Paul uses two words here. To describe what he wants us to be. One of them is the word endurance and the other is the word patience. Endurance and patience are two great words which often keep company with each other. Endurance is not just the ability to bear things, but the ability in bearing them to turn them into glory. It's a conquering endurance, the ability to deal triumphantly with anything that life can do to us. And the basic meaning of patience is patience with people. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It is the quality of mind and heart which enables us to cope with people in such a way that their unpleasantness or cruelty will never drive us to bitterness, that their unwillingness to learn will never drive us to despair, 
that their folly will never drive us to irritation and their unloveliness will never alter our love for them. That's the way the Christian's supposed to live. We're not supposed to get ticked off because somebody else gets ticked off at us. So Paul prays for endurance, which no situation can defeat, and patience, which no person can defeat. He says, I want you to be the kind of people who no matter what you're going through, you go through it. It's not unreal. You don't just blow it off. You go through it. You're in the middle of it. But in the middle of it, you're different than other people are. You're in a situation where you have difficult people. And how are you supposed to act like that? Are you going to be difficult back to them? Are you going to be nasty to them? The Bible says that if you are filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding, you can live in the midst of these situations and be a redemptive person. He prays for the endurance which no situation can defeat and patience which no person can destroy. Now, when we think of patience, who do we think of in the Bible? Job. When you think of endurance, maybe you think of Jeremiah. But when you think of patience and long-suffering with joy, you think of Jesus. (laughs) Patience and long-suffering without joy are cold and unattractive. There's a stern, kind of stoical endurance of suffering that, well, you might look at it and be admired. It repels people. Some people just, yeah, I'm I'm in the middle of it, and I'm going to do my best and live for Jesus as tough as it is. And you walk away, thinking, you know, what kind of victory is that? We hear a lot about resignation, and that's only partially a Christian virtue. Too little of an active delight in God's will. Beth Logans is someone who has endured the worst in life with joy. She's a 48-year-old wife, mother, and grandmother who was diagnosed in 2018 with acute lymphocytic leukemia, a fast-spreading form of blood cancer. The news came as a terrible shock, and she started chemotherapy immediately. At one point, the drug sent her into liver failure, and the doctors told her she had only a 15% chance of surviving. Then came a bone marrow transplant, which involved many long trips to a hospital in Detroit. Now she calls herself a survivor. What's truly incredible is her attitude. She told her local newspaper, I have so much to be thankful for. I'm thankful that God brought me through this, and I'm thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for his comfort and his calming of my fears. And I'm thankful for my family, and I'm thankful for the people I have met because of my illness, and the doctors and the nurses and fellow patients and their families. And I'm thankful for the prayers of the people from many churches, people I don't even know. And then she said this, and this tells you why she could be the way she was. All of us say, well, that's wow, that's wonderful. How could she do that? Well, here's how she did it. She said, I determined to choose joy. I'd say to anybody in a similar situation, choose joy. It's a choice we make, isn't it? Am I going to be grumpy and grouchy and grind all the way through this situation, or am I going to choose joy? And you know, it's not always easy, but the Spirit of God is the Spirit of joy. And when you choose joy, no matter what you're going through, everything is different. First of all, you are better. But secondly, the people around you, they sigh a sigh of relief. And all of a sudden, in the midst of whatever you're going through, there's this God-can-only-do-it kind of joy in your life. We do a lot to prove to the world who we are when we go through things, don't we? I mean, anybody can be happy and full of joy when life is good and, you know, all the bills are paid and nobody's sick and all the kids are doing pretty good. Everybody can be filled with joy. But when we have joy, 
in the midst of the troubles that come to us periodically, we prove the difference. We show people who Jesus is because only Jesus can do that. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't just, I mean, we can choose joy in the power of the Holy Spirit, but we can't choose joy in our own strength. But when we have joy, when everything around us is crumbling, people see that. I actually had a person come up to me once and ask me this question. Why are you the way that you are? Those are the kind of questions that ought to be coming to us periodically. And then finally, we can please God continually. We can produce fruit constantly. We can progress in knowledge consistently. We can persevere under pressure cheerfully. And here's the last one. We can praise God correctly. Here it says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. Paul's writing to the Colossians who were under stress and going through some stuff in their church, and he says, don't forget in the midst of all that's happening to you to be thankful. And then he gives us a thanksgiving list so that we can be thankful as well. First of all, in verse 12, he says, we need to be thankful because God has remade us. (laughs) Who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light? Kind of a wordy sentence, but all that means is that we were not capable in our own strength to relate to God, but God remade us. He gave us a new system. When we were born again, we got a new nature. We didn't get rid of the old one, but we got a new one. And God enables us through that new nature to approach God and to inherit the things that God wants us to have. So be thankful that you've been made over. You've had the greatest makeover there's ever been in history. God has made you over when you became a Christian. Amen? He's made you new. The Bible says, old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. He remade you. Here's the second thing. He not only remade you, he rescued you. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. This deliverance is not an ongoing process. This is not he is delivering us, although that's true. But here in this text, it's saying there was a day when Almighty God delivered you from darkness. When you became a Christian, you were delivered, past tense, final, you were delivered from darkness. When Christ died for us on the cross, he rendered Satan's power over us null and void. We have been delivered from the power of darkness. Never again do we need to be dominated by error and confusion. What a reminder for the Colossians who were going through this fight with Gnosticism in their church. And what a reminder for us as we try to negotiate this crazy world in which we live. We have been rescued from the darkness. Hallelujah. Here's the third one. This is one that kind of surprised me, caught me off guard almost. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. He has relocated us. He's remade us. He's rescued us, and he's relocated us. You say, what are you talking about here? Well, he uses a word in this text that is the picture of what happened when an eastern conqueror would come into a place that he had conquered. Oftentimes, they would take the whole population and remove them to another location so they could never settle back into their old ways, and they would literally be in charge. So here's what Paul says. When you were saved, God picked you up and took you out of the kingdom of Satan, and he took you over, and he plopped you down in the kingdom of the son of his love. That's what he calls him. Amen. (laughs) Hallelujah. And then finally, he redeemed us. In whom we have redemption, verse 14, through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. Redemption and forgiveness are one and the same. 
Redemption means to be bought back, and forgiveness means to be totally released from whatever it is that you did. When Christ died on the cross for us, he remade us, he rescued us, he relocated us, and he redeemed us. And Paul says, there's a few things for you to give thanks about. You know, oftentimes, what do we give thanks to God for? We give thanks to God for all the things we have, for our nice house, maybe a boat, whatever you might have. We thank God for and we should. We should be thankful for the blessings of God. But Paul wants us to take this a little bit deeper and never forget to be thankful for what God has done for us when he saved us, when he made us new. God changes us in this miraculous way, and if we're not careful, we allow that to sink into the backdrop. And it's kind of there, but we don't notice it. Someone has said it this way, if we're Christians, what Christ did for us in our salvation should be getting bigger and bigger and bigger, not littler and littler and littler. And I'm going to tell you a couple of stories to help you never forget this. Lee Horton was released from prison after 25 years behind bars. He did an interview with NPR, and this is how he described his redemption. Listen to this. I don't think people understand that the punishment's being in prison. When you take away everything, everything becomes beautiful to you. When I got out, I went to the DMV a couple of days later to get my license back, and I stood in line for two and a half hours, and I heard all the stories that everybody was talking about, the bad things about DMV, but I had the most beautiful time. All the people were looking at me because I was smiling and laughing, and they couldn't understand why I was so happy. Just being in line at the DMV was a beautiful thing. One of my morning rituals, he said, every morning is I send a message of good morning to every one of my contacts, and that's like 42 people. I send them good morning, good morning, and good morning, and have a nice day, and they're like, how long can he keep that up? But they don't understand. I was deprived, and now it's like I've been released, and I've been reborn into a better day, into a new day, like the person I was no longer exists. Does this sound familiar? And I've stepped through the time machine, and I've stepped through the looking glass into the other side, and everything is beautiful. And even people getting upset to me seems to be very nice. I like to just look at people now and smile and ask myself, do they know what my secret is? Do they know what your secret is? That you've been redeemed, and God has remade you, and rescued you, and relocated you, and forgiven you? Do you think people can see that in you? Because that's what Paul wants us to understand. Our gratitude for what God has done for us should fill up our minds and never be pushed into the backdrop. It should triumph over everything else for which we're grateful because, let's face it, if that hadn't happened, nothing else really matters. Paul ends his prayer by rehearsing all that God has done for us. He remade us. He rescued us. He relocated us. He redeemed us. And it's so easy to take all those blessings for granted for them to become smaller in our lives rather than bigger. I think that's why Paul was always praying for his friends. He wanted the gospel to mean more and more to them with each passing day. Author Jared Wilson has a book out called Gospel Wakefulness. For Wilson, gospel wakefulness means that we treasure Christ more greatly and savor his power more sweetly as we know him more deeply. Here's how he illustrates this idea in a graphic illustration. Imagine you were driving down the road and your car stalls at a railroad crossing. 
you are understandably nervous as you try to reignite the car's engine, but you become even more so when you see a train turn the corner in the distance. The train engine's horn is blaring and the engineer has thrown on the brakes, but you are too close and he's coming too fast. You move from trying to get the car to start from trying to unfasten your seatbelt, but fear has made your hands stiff and shake and the train is rushing forward and you know you're going to be hit. And you are, suddenly and from behind. A man in a truck behind you has decided to ram into your car and push you off the tracks even as he is destroyed by the impact in the very spot you once occupied. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Jesus Christ did for us. You get out of the car, shaken and frightened. You're in shock over your rescuer's sacrifice, and you are grateful like you've never been grateful before. There's a gratitude in your heart you can't even, it's exploded that you're still alive. Even though you're terrified for what happened to the man who saves you, you are so glad to be alive. You feel woozy, so you sit down on the trunk of your car, and as you're trying to retrieve your cell phone from your pocket to call 911, you hear a whimper from inside the trunk. You didn't know that before you left the house, as your kids were playing hide-and-seek, your youngest son decided to hide in the trunk of your car. As you open it up frantically and discover that he is miraculously unharmed, you suddenly realize the total greatness of the loss you almost suffered. Your gratitude, your amazement, your new outlook on life takes a giant leap forward. That is the difference between the gospel wakefulness of conversion and the greater wakefulness that often occurs later in life as we look back and realize what God has really done for us. Many of you were saved out of darkness. I grew up in a Christian home. That's not my story. But now you realize that because you were saved out of darkness, your children grew up in a Christian home. And maybe now they're married and they have grandchildren. One of the things that happened to me when I went back to the church we started 50 years ago was I met people that I had led to Christ and then they introduced me to their children and their grandchildren and told me what was going on in their family. When God saved them, he saved everything in their wake. When God saves you, when he brings you into his kingdom, he redeems everything that is true about you. Don't forget that. Don't forget to look back and be filled with gospel wakefulness. Rejoice in who you are in Christ. Think about all the things that are true of you that would not be true of you if Christ had not changed your life. And develop a quality of gratitude. Paul was the happiest man who ever walked on this earth because he was so grateful. He never forgot what happened to him on Damascus Road. He never forgot that one time he was a persecutor of Christians, and because of God's grace, he became a preacher to Christians. And his life, it just exudes gratitude. Friends, with all that's going on around us, and we have a lot that we can look at and complain about, we really don't have anything to complain about. If you've got Jesus, you've got everything. If you have salvation, you not only have the past cared for, the present cared for, but you know where you're going. And we know that sometime soon Jesus is going to come back and take us to heaven. What a wonderful way to live with that kind of gratitude in our life. So my prayer for you today is Paul's prayer for you today, that you might be filled with knowledge and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that all these things that Paul says will happen to us if that's true, 
will happen to you if it's true in your life. Well, thank you so much for letting me share this favorite passage of mine from Colossians chapter 1. Tomorrow we're going to talk about the fullness of Christ. And um, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, you don't want to miss the next two days. Paul is going to lay out a very carefully thought through presentation of the deity of Jesus Christ and why he is the priority for everything. Uh, Paul was a great theologian. He was a, a marvelous a thinker. And uh, he just takes this whole truth about Jesus Christ and his fullness and puts it in very organized fashion so we can understand it. And I remember uh, going through it just a few weeks ago with the people of Shadow Mountain and how blessed I was to remind myself and to be able to remind all of them that he is who he says he is. He is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he is worthy of our trust. Tomorrow here on Turning Point, The Fullness of Christ. Don't forget to get your copy of the book, Christ Above All. That you can do by sending a gift to Turning Point during the month of August. When you do that, ask for your copy. It's 288 pages. It's a hardback book. It's, a, it's worthy of your library. I hope you will get a copy of it. And uh, be sure and ask for it when you send your gift today. We'll see you tomorrow. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search for the keywords Turning Point Ministries. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Benjamin Franklin is credited with inventing street lamps in the city of Philadelphia. He did so by simply hanging an oil lantern on a long bracket in front of his own house. His lantern was an oasis of light in an otherwise dark street. 
and the light was so appreciated that soon others followed his example until the streets were filled with the glow of lanterns that eventually became streetlights. Nothing, it seems, is more powerful than a positive example. If there is something you believe would make a positive difference in your home, church, office, or community, well, set the example, be patient, and see if others don't follow. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's examples on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.